0: visited Psalm 119, we referred to the title, as some titled it, The Rich and Precious Jewel of the Word of God. The 22 stanzas of eight verses each that begin with different letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and each one bringing us with the exception of only two verses out of 176, they mention one synonym or another for the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the revelation of God. And as we said, that the psalmist is not worshiping the Scripture as some believe, but in verse 38 we read again these words, establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. And as we have read here in verse 12 of this second stanza of the psalm, Blessed art thou, O Lord. God is to be blessed by his people and the psalmist blesses God and yet he understands and knows God through his word. The word giving insight into that full range, the full orbed jewel of the word in the different meanings the teaching and the revelation of God himself, his standards, his warnings, his particular instructions and his care for the details of our individual lives, but also for his authority, his authoritative commands, his righteous judgments, his eternal statutes. And yet we find that these things are personified in the scriptures, and they are looked at in various ways by the psalmists. So we understand that what we read in the Old Testament, again, the Old Testament in the garb of the new, that God's statutes are engraved on the tablets of human hearts, that he has put his word and his commands and his precepts into the heart of, of those who are his. And so we see the psalmist writing about these things. And it is, as many have recognized, that it is full of of prayers, sentence prayers and thoughts and praises and ways in which the psalmist exclaims to God, but also exclaims really to anyone who would listen his own desires in reference to God and his word. Some treat it as written, even though, again, it's not uh, titled that is a psalm of David, but by his tone and by his expressions and by phrases that he uses, uh, there comes through this psalm Uh, it's hard to miss that it is an attitude of one of whom the Scripture speaks as a man after God's own heart. And so whether it is David or another psalmist, another poet of Israel, it comes across in that style. I have come to think of it as David's diary. And I say that because at least in my thinking, I see a progression in here. We read in this section where he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? But there is some reason to believe that the progression that we see as we go through, maybe not uh, always uh, in, in our chronological order, but there is a progression of age, I believe, and of wisdom, and certainly of experience, of his afflictions, and of his reaction that he gets from those who, who make light of his uh, study of the word, make light of his worshiping God. And as he moves along, we see some of those things coming through. And I may be wrong, but I, when I read phrases like, I am a stranger on the earth, or I am a sojourner on the earth, I don't know many young people. I, I teach algebra and I geometry students, uh, 14, 15, 16 year olds, and not many of them think of their life as being a sojourn or I'm a stranger here. They're wanting to take hold of the earth. They're wanting to grab with everything they can. They are looking at the future of how can I make it in this world? How can I get Uh, something from this world the psalmist says in verse 67 before I was afflicted I went astray it again it, it teaches us that there is some progression in his understanding the afflictions have come from God and he has learned he has grown or at least he has seen that he has things that he had to learn one curious phrase he uses in verse 83, though I have become like wineskin in the smoke. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. There are some who believe that it is a sign of maturity with age. A wineskin in the smoke becomes blackened and it becomes, it's becomes it been used and it becomes older and you can see that it has been uh, through <laughs> some things. And so again, I get a a feeling that the psalmist has been through these things, where he says, I have more insight than all my teachers. That obviously he has been to school. He has been through some experiences, and he has been taught, and yet he understands from the Word that he has insight which his teachers could not impart to him. And when he says in verse 148, perhaps because I have just had another birthday recently, it caught my eye in verse 148. He says, my eyes anticipate the watches of the night. Most people my age do get up a few times in the night. But he says that I may meditate on thy word. In the watches of the night, he is ever thinking about God and his word. And then in 152, he says, Of old I have known of thy testimonies. I believe what we see here, as some have said, is that the psalmist may be looking back and leaving for not just posterity, but for those who would follow after him. And there is some reason to believe that David did this as he saw the divided kingdom and as he was longing for that kingdom, those tribes to be brought back together or anticipated the the things that they might go through, that he would have called on them. See these things that I have seen. Following through his life, I I have been where you are, and yet God has caused me to seek him in his word, and I have made these decisions in my life. I have chosen these things because he has dealt with me in his word. And so perhaps it is the psalmist looking at his life and leaving something to help guide others. William Cooper, the uh, hymn writer, says in his alliteration of this psalm that it's praises, prayers, and protestations, that there are praises for the righteousness of the word and for what it reveals about God himself that the psalmist prays for wisdom and discernment, but he also prays for rebuke of the arrogant and those who would cause him to sin. And then he uses this word again that I had to look up, protestations. It's not a complaint and it's not an objection the way we use protests these days. The way the word is used, and it's still in our dictionaries today, it can mean a solemn declaration or affirmation of something. And here the psalmist is making those kinds of protestations. He is making declarations, I will, I will seek God in his word. I will delight in his statutes. I will cry out to him as I read and study the scriptures. And so what I see and what I would like to do um, more briefly than we did this morning, uh, but I would like to think of the psalmist in terms of the scripture, where the greatest commandment Jesus says to us, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so I would like to look at a few verses here of how I see And sometimes it's hard to understand where is the difference between the heart and the soul and the mind. And yet I believe that there is a difference between that which is the heart, that which is settled in what is the treasure of the heart versus what is the intellect grabbing on? How does the mind see the word? But then what is really in his soul? And so we will embark on these heart mind and soul of the psalmist again in verse 11 that we read thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee it's really he's making it a statement but it's really a promise a promise uh, perhaps to himself but to God as well I have hid thy word in my heart The person who makes themselves attentive to wisdom and understanding, makes themselves attentive to the Word, Proverbs 2 says, will have a reward. It says, wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you. He's made a commitment and a promise, and yet it's not an empty thing. It's not something that he says, well, maybe something good will come about it. He has said, I have treasured thy word in my heart that I may not sin, that I may not do those things which displease God, but there will be those things that enter into my heart, the knowledge, the pleasantness, the discretion that I will get, the understanding that will watch over me. In verse 16 of that same stanza, he says, I shall delight in thy statues. I will not forget thy words. His treasure is in that relationship with God. And he says, I I will delight in these things. But as I try to understand, well, what does delight mean in the Hebrew scriptures? What does delight mean in the Old Testament? Apparently, it can mean anything from homely quietness and trust. I will delight in these things. You have a delight in certain things where you go, you know, there is just, I, I'm settled with this. There, there's a trust in this. To, as one commentator says, it can mean to skip about and jump for joy. And I don't know which the psalmist has here, but I would imagine that there is slightly different at different times. Are there not things that just make you jump for joy? There are things that kind of make your heart go, wow, you know, I'm delighted with this. A gift or a meeting or meeting someone or a loved one that you haven't seen, there is a delight in that. But there is also times when you know you're at peace with what you have. And there is that homely quietness where you are settled And you are trusting that God has done right. He has given me good things. But Jesus helps us understand simply by saying in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do we delight in the things that delight God? Is our treasure in the things of God? And there our heart will be also. There our heart will be be in not only homely delight and trust, but will have that jumping for joy. In verse 20 he says, My soul is crushed with longing. He goes from that delight to that soul crushed with longing. It's not merely an off-the-cuff sentiment. How how can anyone make a statement like that? My soul is crushed with longing but we can tell that it's deep and it's heartfelt it it it, it is straining on his heart strings perhaps but what does it mean he says i my soul is crushed with longing after thine ordinances at all times see there there is in there even though he's crushed with that longing he can't get enough there is the attitude of steady Constant, uniform motion in the word his heart would be steady his desire would be steady it would be a permanent feeling of that zeal and longing that he has and how is it sort of summed up his heart in this psalm I believe you could turn no better place than verse 97 Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It's almost as if he was trying to express that which is inexpressible. And it just came out, Oh, how I love thy law. I can't describe all of those things. I just know that this is what is in the treasure of my heart. It is my meditation all the day. The more familiar he is with the word, the more he loves it, the more he desires it, the more he loves it. Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. He has not stopped at merely hearing the word read, uh, read in his hearing. He has not stopped at reading the word for himself. He has gone on beyond to meditation. To the chewing of the cud, that he has taken it in and he is getting all the nourishment that he can, all the nutrients that he can, all that he can from the Word of God. It is my meditation all the day. But what is in the psalmist's mind? His treasure trove is in the Word, but how about his mind? In verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Open my eyes. He sees that there is still more to see. Thomas Manton says this, The saints do not complain of the obscurity of the law, but of their own blindness. See, how many perhaps friends, family members, acquaintances Oh, the Bible is so hard to read. I just wish it was in, somehow written in a, a, a different way that I could understand. But those whom God has drawn to himself, those whom God has called, the Bible becomes, as my professor used to say, do not say that the Bible has come alive to you. Because Hebrews 4 has already said, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Dr. Kravendam would say, I hear people say that the Word has come alive to me, and he would say, no, that is wrong. You have come alive to the Word. And that's much better. The Word is already alive. It is living and active. And it works in the hearts of God's people. And Thomas Manton is right. The saints do not complain of the obscurity of the law, but of their own blindness. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things. See, it's not just open my eyes so I can see it's there's a purpose that I may behold wonderful things. It's actually that double request in the Hebrew language. Take away the veil. Or what language does the Scripture use? Uh, We see in Acts what were like scales falling from the eyes of people, right? Isn't that how Paul describes it? That veil or that scale, those scales fall from their eyes. That's one thing. But then he, he doesn't stop with open my eyes. He goes on, that I may behold wonderful things, that I may see that you would... Release the light of the scriptures, that you would reveal the light of the scriptures to me. In verse 42, he says, so I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me. See, his mind is working on, I I live in this world. I, I deal with people who reproach me for my faith. I deal with people who belittle me because I follow God. And I believe there is a God who is creator and designer and sustainer of all the universe. I believe these things and people make fun of me for that. And he says, I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. I trust in the word Um, in that whole stanza um, in which verse 42, 41, 42, 43, 44, we see him saying, I trust in thy word. I wait for thy ordinance. I will keep thy law. I will seek thy precepts. Here's a man whose mind is fully set on doing these things, not just praying, but saying, I will seek the word, I will wait on it, I will look into it, I will trust it. And in verse 131, he says, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. The picture here is of one who has run a race or one who has been in battle or one who has worked an exhausting day. And he says, I've opened my mouth wide and panted. It's one who is trying to catch his breath. And yet the Hebrew brings out an eagerness. It's like the eagerness of a hungry thirsty animal. We were talking to Malcolm this morning about the church cat and Angus. And he's a skinny orange cat that stays outside the door because that's where the dishes are. But if you make the mistake of getting the stuff in the cup, and taking it out and leaning over and pouring, trying to pour it into the bowl, he will crash into your arm and spill it all over because he is that one who is, has open mouth and panting for his food. He is hungry and he's eager for it. Malcolm has learned that you pour it in and then you put it down. But God wants people like the psalmist who would be eager and who would knock it out of God's hands in their eagerness. I want more of you. I want more of your word. The earnest pursuer out of breath, sucking air, vehement in his striving to obey. That's the mind of the psalmist. That's the heart of the psalmist. But well, what does his soul look like? Well, just one passage. I think we can see three things that spell the psalmist's pursuit of godliness. In verses 31, 30, uh, sorry, 30 and 31 and 32, we see three words. Three verbs being used here i have chosen i cleave and i shall run i believe they summarize the pursuit of godliness and i believe it spells to us the soul of the disciple who desires that its heart would be enlarged as we talked talked of this morning that vision and that wisdom to apply the word of god In verse 31, he says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have placed thine ordinances before me. He has chosen the way of truth. Not the way of lying, not the way of falsehood, and notice, not the way of self-reliance. I have chosen the way of truth. How? I have placed thine ordinances before me. He doesn't rely on his own insight. He doesn't rely on, I can make it. He places God's judgments, God's ordinances before him. The idea of choosing bothers, I think, some Christians. But this is a believer. This is one who has been called by God, as we heard in the Holiness Code in Leviticus 19. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And God is calling us, choose this day. Choose whom you will serve. Choose how you will will go. He says, I have chosen the way of truth. We read about Moses in Hebrews 11. It says of Moses, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. The Christian life does call for us to choose. To make those choices, I will not, one, run in the way of falsehood or in the way of lying. But I have placed thine ordinances before me. Choose, I have chosen the way of truth, is the first step in the pursuit of godliness. Verse 32, he says, I cleave to thy testimonies, O Lord, do not put me to shame. God has given him reasons to bend his his own will with vigor, with energy, and again, as we have seen in the other verses, with a vehemence to match God's will for him. In Acts chapter 11, we meet a man who has the nickname Son of Encouragement. His name is Barnabas. And it says of him that when People came to know Christ as they received the word that was being preached by the apostles. He says, Barnabas rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. That was the heart of Barnabas. He cleaved to these things. He grabbed hold of these things with a resolute heart to cause them to also be resolute that son of encouragement, encouraging others around him. I cleave to thy testimonies, the psalmist says. And finally, in verse 33, he says, I shall run the way of thy commandments, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. I shall run. Why? Because thou wilt. See, I shall run in the first part of the verse, for thou wilt. He knows that he runs because God will be his sustainer. God will be the one who enlarges his heart. God will be the one to give him the energy and strength. I shall run. He, he's not content with standing still and he's not content with walking. He moves from standing to walking, but that's not enough. To walk in the way of truth. So he says, I shall run in the way of truth. He's not standing still. He's not procrastinating. He's not un- uncertain because God has given him, that's the enlargement, the vision and the wisdom to move ahead in his life. In verse 60, he says, I hasten and do not delay. It's a similar sentiment. I hasten and do not delay. The, the word there could be translated linger. I do not linger. And, and that reminds us of Lot. When he was told, get out of Sodom, they lingered and they did not move immediately until at the last moment. And he says, I do not linger. I do not delay. I do not hesitate. There is no uncertainty. I run in the way of God's commandments. I'm not satisfied until I run the race that is set before me. And again, I think some of you probably hear the voice of the Apostle Paul, do you not, from Philippians 3. Paul says, not that I already attained it or have already become perfect. He's not content with standing. He's not content with walking. He says, but I press on. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead for the goal, to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I choose the way of your commandments. I cleave to your ordinances. I run in the way of your commandments. I choose, I cleave, I run. That is the psalmist's soul. That is his pursuit of godliness. So how would we conclude? Well, hopefully you won't conclude. Hopefully you will do as several uh, to, to my, my great um, joy this morning said, I am going to read Psalm 119. I'm going to take your verse a day. I'm going to take Philip Henry's advice. And I am going to see whether the word of God is all of these things that the psalmist has said. But we, we know from the first stanza, the first stanza all the way through, blessed are all those who walk in God's law, who observe his commandments. But we also see from the psalmist that the saints never rest in their pursuit of knowing and loving God. The psalmist will not let himself be satisfied. That's why, again, he says, I will run in the way of your commandments. In 145, he says, I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. In 147, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for thy words. There's an eagerness, there's a longing, there's a daily uh, appetite and hunger for these things. He says, I wait for thy words, but he rises early because he can't wait. And Charles Bridges, in his he wrote a whole book on Psalm 119, but he says simply this sentence next to this verse, Honor God by expectancy expecting that God will speak that day through his word, that he will reveal more of himself, that he will do these things, that it will become, as the psalmist has said here, echoing what we see in Psalm 19, the word has become sweeter than honey to him. Honor God by your expectancy. But finally, we see that obedience to these things, obedience to the word, has its own rewards. In verse 56, he says, this has become mine. Or translated another way, this I have had because I observe thy precepts. He is not studying the Scriptures for the reward. He has realized that in his study and delight in the Scripture, God has turned him to receive a reward. All of those things that the Scripture has talked about. Comfort in his affliction. Courage in the face of opposition. Power to endure. Hope in God. These have become His. He says, these have become Mine. Mine. Because I observe thy precepts. But he also may be speaking of verse 57 when he says, In 56, these have become mine, or this I have had. For that na- very next verse says, The Lord is my portion. To be able to say, This I have, this has become mine, the Lord is my portion. He is saying that God is his all-sufficient, eternal, infinite, satisfactory portion. That there could be nothing else that he wants or desires besides him. And if this is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, perhaps it makes the connection in your brain as it did in mine. Psalm 23, perhaps David's most celebrated psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall never be in want. The Lord is his portion. God has answered for him that prayer, establish me according to thy word as that which produces reverence for thee. The Lord is my portion. And he is satisfied with nothing less than that let us pray our heavenly father I know that there is so much much more in here the heart of the psalmist I pray that we would imitate that we would desire to look into the word to have these things as ours that we could come to that place where we say this has become mine The Lord is my portion. Father, we ask that we would not be dry in our study of the scriptures, but we would be vibrant and fresh and looking forward to it. We pray that we would have that delight. We pray that we would have that eagerness as the hungry cat. We would have that longing, crushing longing in our heart. Not that we would be seen by anyone, not that we would have any glory to us, but to your name and to your church, to Christ Jesus our Lord, be the glory and honor and praise. Father, that you would do these things, that you would truly answer these prayers and that your people would magnify your name. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you please rise for the benediction? One final verse. From this this psalm, the good news in verse 165, those who love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble.